Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're new here in the room or online, I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor here. And as Mark mentioned, we started a series talking about the life of Jacob starting last week, second week of this. And if you don't know who Jacob is, kind of go back to Genesis 12. And um, God selects a guy named Abraham and says, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you the, the father of a great nation. And this nation is going to be my people and I'm going to overwhelmingly bless, bless them. And through them, the whole world is going to be blessed. So you are going to be my people. And then Abraham has a son, Isaac, and God um, comes to Isaac and says, hey, the same promise that I gave to your dad, Abraham, I'm giving to you. I'm going to use you to create this great nation and you're going to be my people. And then... Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau, and it is prophesied, God says to his mom, that is the the younger that is going to rule over the older one. So it's kind of been prophesied, at least we believe, it hasn't been explicitly said yet, that it is Jacob that is going to inherit this promise. But there's a really interesting little quirk that happens in Jacob and Esau's birth. They're twins. Esau is the oldest and the younger one, Jacob, the guy we're studying, is holding on to his heel as he as as they're coming out, and so they and they thought that I guess that was, thought that was cute, and so they named him holds on to the heel, which is I guess, essentially what Jacob means. But the problem is, is that the name that that idea it's an expression that means deceiver, like you're pulling my leg, you're you're holding on to the heel, like you're you're deceptive in some way. So essentially, for his whole life, anytime his name is called, anybody. Somebody's talking to him. They're basically, hey, deceiver, 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 come here, deceiver, deceiver. And so we talked about last week whether or not he was going to rise above that name or live up to it. And unfortunately, he lived up to it. And um, through just kind of just, just straight up just being mean, kind of steals um, his older brother's birthright, the larger portion of the inheritance. And then with this just incredibly deceptive plot, he and his mom worked together into tricking dad into giving Jacob the blessing that was reserved for the older son. And so he is living up to this name and being incredibly deceptive, incredibly divisive and hurtful and kind of destructive within his own family. And what happens after this is, you know, the, the dad, Isaac, is about to die and they've, they've tricked him into to blessing Jacob instead of Esau. And Esau comes up to Jacob and is like, dad's dad's about to die. And when he dies, you're going to die. I'm going to kill you. So this is the natural consequence of what's happened. Now, now his life is in danger and his mom is worried about him. And so she sends him away to live with some of her extended family. And so to protect him from Esau. And so as, as, as Jacob is, is, is going on, we're kind of left, kind of, I wonder, what, I wonder what's going to happen in this next movement for him. He's, he's done something incredibly destructive. Does he learn his lesson or not? And so we're just going to kind of build on this, like what, what's next for him? <clears throat> and I was thinking about this, because often what happens is, if you make one mistake, you kind of, people very often, they kind of compound it with another mistake. So I don't often like to use sports analogies because people can, some people just don't like them, but anyway, every now and then I just have to because I just, I just want to, and, and, I'm, and I have the microphone. Um, so anyway, in football, you score a touchdown, you get six points, but you can kick an extra point, you get one, now you get seven points. 
Well, every now and then, it doesn't happen very often, about 99% of the time you make it, but every now and then you miss it. And it feels like, it feels like I made a mistake, like I've got a problem now. Now I've lost a point. Well, now that I've lost this point, I have to make up for it somehow. So then you score another touchdown and you feel like oh, we got to do something. There's this thing you can do where you go for two, which is always a bad idea except at the end of the game, right? And so you go for two because it's really difficult, like about 40% of the time it wins. And then you don't do that. Now you've got two problems and you just kind of keep repeating this problem where I, I, because of this one mistake, I make another mistake and make another mistake and eventually it starts to add up. A simpler metaphor would be in basketball, still sports, right? Which is you miss an easy shot, the other team gets the ball, and then you get really, really frustrated, and the person that missed the shot will foul the other player. Well, now you've taken one mistake, now you've got another one. You say this to your kids all the time. You catch them in doing something stupid, and you say, why did you do this? And then they lie, and then every parent everywhere who probably thinks they're being unique, that they're the only parent who has this rule, but we all say it, it's the lying that makes it worse. If you just told the truth, which probably isn't real, like if you had to, you, they were in trouble regardless. Are you making more trouble? Maybe, but so we tell them, we tell them this, right? Like it's, it's, it's worse, You're, you are making the problem worse by adding another sin on top of the first sin. And so is this the pattern that Jacob is going to take? So he's walking, he's heading out towards to, to be with his family, his uncle, a guy named Laban. And God visits him in a dream. And in this dream, he sees this ladder of people, angels kind of going up and down from heaven to earth. And in this dream, um, God says to Jacob and essentially affirms the promise to, to Jacob. The same promise I made to your granddad same problem I, made, I promise I made to your dad. I'm making it to you. You're going to be the father of this great nation. And so what it feels like in the natural flow of just a Bible story, he does something really dumb. God visits him, gives him a powerful promise. And then it just feels like the next act is an act of redemption. Well, he gets there to Laban and... Um, Gets there with his family, and Laban's younger daughter, um, Rachel, is incredibly beautiful, and, and, and Jacob falls in love with her. And he starts working for his uncle, you know, kind of just helping with his, uh, with his herd. He has, he's got a lot of sheep and goats, these kinds of things. He's helping. And this is kind of where we enter the story here in Genesis chapter 29, starting in verse 15. Laban said to him, to Jacob, Just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now, there's going to be a few things here in this story where you're going to be like some of the customs and traditions that they have are going to be problematic to you. We're going to feel troubling. It shouldn't be like that. But we need to, at least for this moment, we need to take this story at its face value and kind of like this is kind of the way the world worked for them at this time. But even in the way that the world worked for them at this time, we're just going to see a lot of, we're, we're going to see a lot of things that are just kind of like, mm, that might, shouldn't have done that or whatever. But, so, but here's the setup. Laban's got two daughters, uh, Leah and Rachel, 
And Jacob is in love with Rachel, who was the younger of the two daughters. And it says that she has a lovely figure and was beautiful. And it, it says Leah had weak eyes. And you think, what does that mean? It's like, you kind of think maybe she, like, she was just cross-eyed, which that would just like, that would be really bad if that was like, that's all it takes for you to kind of like to, to, to not like her. But really that expression, it's going to sound like I'm trying to be funny here, but really the kind of expression, weak eyes, is kind of like, like looking at you makes my eyes hurt, right? I mean, it's just like, ooh, now my, I, you know, right? maybe, maybe weak, weak on the eyes. Like, 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 like she was ugly. Okay, and so she's, and so we've got these two dogs, the older one who's not very attractive and one who is described as a lovely figure and was beautiful. And Jacob says, I'm in love with her. I'll work for you for seven years and then she, and then you will give her to me as my wife, which again, is part of the tradition. You, know, you have to, you know, you, you are, you are paying into the family in order to be able to take on a daughter and bring her into your family. And so it's kind of part of the way this tradition worked. And so he is working in order to earn the right financially to be able to, uh, for Laban to give his daughter to Jacob. All right? Verse 19, Laban said, It's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. And it seems like at this moment, they're kind of setting us up for like an epic love story. Verse 21, <clears throat> Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah, again the older one, and brought her to Jacob and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? So again, this is, this is, this is horrifying. This is a horrifying thing that, this, that, 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 that the dad here has done in this situation. And the way that it works is essentially, you know, this is pre-electricity, pre-candles. I mean, there's just not, there's just not, there's just not a lot. Of, I mean, it's dark. And, and the wedding is you have this great feast. And then the wedding kind of ends with the dad bringing the daughter to the tent. And they have sex. And then at that point, they're officially married. Well, let's just say it's really, really dark, and we have been feasting all day. So we're not really, really tuned in with exactly what's happening. And so Laban is able to trick, um, to trick Jacob and say, okay, well, um, you know, here, you know, here she is, and he has sex with her, and now Leah is his wife. Again, you can say anything you want culturally about the way things should be, but that's it. Leah is now his wife, and there isn't anything that can, or really in this culture, should be done about that. But he has been tricked. Laban replied, verse 26, It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also, in return for another seven years of work. And so he, you know, he... He works for seven years, and instead of getting the wife that he wanted, Laban tricks him, and now he has a, a wife that he didn't want. And so we have in our first story that we looked at last week, we have Laban being the deceiver, the trickster, the one who is deceiving everybody and comes up with this plot to, 
to, to manipulate to get what he wants. And what we have here essentially is now what Jacob has done. He's, he's meeting the OG, the, I guess OT, the original trickster. This is the deceiver. And so what this life that he has been living and the way that he has been hurting people, now it gets back onto him. Now the thing that he has done is being done to him. And we'll say it this way. Karma isn't real, but it kind of is. It kind of it kind of is. And the reason I say this is that karma's not real. And you think, if you say karma's not real, brother, it's real. You do bad stuff, bad stuff gonna happen to you. That's real. Okay. I try not to be this guy too often, but every now and then I do. I have to. It's like, well, actually, let me tell you what karma really is. And it's important. Karma is actually a a much bigger concept in, in Buddhism and Hinduism where it has the idea that who you are in this life, like in your previous incarnations, you were reincarnated to who you are now, and this is based on the collective actions of, of your lives in the past, and all of that puts in together, and because of that, the good and the bad that you've put together, that determines who you got to be right now. And who you are being right now, the good and the bad, are essentially going to determine what you are reincarnated into next. Okay? So that's not real. That's not the way that it works. What determines the state of our life right now and the state of our life in the next life is, our, is whether or not we have put our faith fully um, in, the, in the work and the life, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is not just simply the good plus the bad and kind of all evens out. It is we've got bad and it has to be forgiven and Jesus forgives. And if we accept that forgiveness, we have life. If we don't, we don't. And so karma isn't real, but in kind of the secondary pop kind of way that we use the word karma, which is, you know, you know what goes around comes around. You reap what you sow, that, 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 kind, that, that is real. And in fact, it's a very biblical principle. In Galatians 6, it very, it got that exact same thing is said. Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked by you. You will reap what you sow. It, uh, some verses we looked at in our money series. If you sow generously, if you are a generous giver, God will be generous with you. If you are selfish with God, God will be selfish with you. I mean, the Bible is full of this principle. You give love, you receive love. You give anger and division, this is what you're going to get back. This is the way it, it, it works. Like, you are angry, you're an angry person. You are not going to be surrounded with calm, nice friends. You're just not. You are a loving person. You're going to be surrounded by loving people. You are a liar. You're going to be surrounded by liars. This is just the way that this works. You will reap what you sow. Now, it's important to me, and we say this a lot here at the Grove, and it's important for me that you know this, that your relationship with God is not based on what you do. Your relationship with God is based on what Jesus did. You have a relationship with God if you have put your faith in Jesus and his death and the forgiveness that comes from your belief in him. And that is what your security is. You say that too many times and some people start to think, well, are you, are you saying that it doesn't matter? It doesn't matter what you do. God's going to love you anyway. It doesn't matter what you do. Do not hear me say that. I have never said that. Your relationship with God is secure regardless of what you do. But let me tell you this, what you do, it matters. Whether or not you live a life of love, 
matters. Whether or not you live a life of anger and hate and division, it matters. If you are generous or greedy, it matters. It matters in this life. And again, we talked about this in the money series. If I'm building up for myself treasures in heaven, that matters forever. But if I am spending my life here just focusing on me and what I want and, I, and, and I'm stoking anger and fear and lying, well, that matters in this life and the next, even though your relationship with God is secure. It matters. It has consequences. And what Jacob did had consequences. Well, Laban didn't know what he had done to his brother. It doesn't matter. If he had done right by his brother, he would still be at home and he would not have ever been in this situation. But because he was deceptive, he had to get shipped off to the guy who seems to have invented this. And and now this has happened to him because his, his actions have consequences. And you reap what you sow. You sow deception and, and division, and he gets it back. Now, if you thought that after the election and everything that's happened over the last few days that you were going to be spared from one of Charlie's little political rants, I, I, I'm sorry. If you were waiting for it, then congratulations. <laughs> but you're all going to walk out of here mad at me, so it doesn't really matter. Because here's the thing, let's just, I mean, we could go back as far as we want, let's just go back to 2000. From 2000 to 2008, George W. Bush was president. And what I heard, again, I'm old enough to remember all of this. I'm old enough, I'm, here, I'm the worst person for our political system because I'm old and I remember things. From 2000 to 2008, George Bush was a war criminal who should be tried in the world court in The Hague in the Hague, and should be executed as a war criminal. And all of the people who supported him are, are complicit in that and are essentially war criminals as well. That was, that, that was George W. Bush. And then, fast forward, 2008 to 2016, what do we have next? Well, this is a, a closeted secret Muslim who is going to destroy America in order to bring us under the one rule evil government of the United Nations. And um, that's, that's like the Antichrist, in case you didn't know. You know? And, 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 and this anger comes at Obama, and everybody's surprised. How? What? What? How did, why did that, what do you, why would you even say that? I'm like, it, and then, 2016, this guy is a Nazi and he is going to kill everybody who is different than him and he is going to destroy America and democracy and the world. And, 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 and Trump supporters are like, why would you even say this? I'm like, and everybody's like, do you not remember what you just said? And now here we are in 2020 and we're going to be surprised again that I know we called you Nazis for the last four years, but why aren't you being nice to us and our candidate and our president now? I'm telling you, the ugliness of this, all of it, is a giant mirror that we are facing the wrong way. I've got this mirror, and I'm always pointing it at you. You see? You see? You see? You see? You did this. But we never think, what am I sowing into this? I've sowed into this. I played into this. 
I only think about what gets back on me. How dare you say that to me? How dare you say that about my party? How dare you say that about my president? How dare you? But I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember what we said. Well, they started it. Did they now? Unless you are Cain and Abel, the first act of anger and vengeance in the Bible where one brother killed another. No, they did. If anybody started it, Cain started it by killing his brother out of jealousy. And we've just been building on it ever since for thousands and thousands of years. We sow anger and hate and division and we are surprised when it comes back. Let me tell you this, your marriage is this way too. I can't believe you said that to me. How dare you talk to me that way? But you don't think about the thing that you said. You say something ugly to your spouse, and when she says something ugly in return, when he says something ugly in return, you're like, I can't believe you said that to me. I, I, I can't believe, why do my, I can't believe why my kids have such a temper. <laughs> Interesting. That's, that's, that's one, one way of thinking about it. We sow and we sow and we sow. And I only focus on what's happening to me. And that's not just our politics, it's our families, it's, it's in our personal lives, our friendships. Everything about what you are getting back from people, the way your kids talk to you, the way your spouse talks to you, the way your friends talk to you, the way that your political opponents talk to you, you're, 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 you're reaping, and it is a mirror. It is a mirror to your very soul about what it is that you, in fact, are sowing. But we refuse to see it that way. I only see it in terms of how dare Laban do this to me. I did not deserve this. I worked seven years for this, and this is how I get treated. Been planting this seed your whole life, deceiver. And I think it's time we kind of turn the mirror on ourselves. And if I had advice to give to Jacob, which I can't because this, again, this story was thousands of years ago. If I had any advice to give to him, I'd be like, bro, just take the loss. Take the loss. You you did something really hurtful that is destroying your nuclear family. And now you're here, and now it's getting back on you. Just take the loss. Learn from your mistake. Learn from your sin. And stop being the deceiver. Stop this destruction. So Laban says, I'll give you, this, I'll give you my second daughter as a wife too, if you will promise to work another seven years in the future. Verse 28. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. Now this was in the rotation. I think I've talked about this before. Some of you, I, went to, I was at church all the time, and in Sunday school, they would just kind of teach Bible stories every week, and it just seemed like there were exactly... 52 Bible stories 
and they just kind of rotated them on loop every year. And they got a little more complex the little older you got, but it's still the same 52 stories. But it feels to me like this story was always told, at least in part, like this end part here, like, like somehow this is a great love story, that he was willing to work so hard in order to get the wife that he loved. And there's some sort of, I'm supposed to feel bad for Jacob for being tricked. And that he finally, after work, committing to work another seven years, finally gets to be with the love of his life. And, and I think if that is the perspective that I was given, or the perspective any of us have, we, ha- we have been deceived by what is really going on here in this story. Because the reality of it is, what he should have done was accept the wife that he had. He had a wife. It isn't the wife that he wanted, but she is his wife. And he could have... If he had trusted in God and allowed his heart to change, he could have loved his wife deeply and made a great family with them and carried on the, the, the blessing that God had promised him in the, in, in the dream on the journey over. But that's not what he did. But in fact, what he did do is in fact one of the stupidest things that anyone in the Bible has ever done. And again, there's just a hint of it in the story. And his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. Oh, mm, 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 So he's got a wife, probably, let's just say, she's probably a little defensive about her younger sister, about how pretty she is and how weak my eyes are. And, and, and she knows that she was unwanted and she knows that he, she's not what, and, and, and so she has been manipulated by her dad and she now has a husband that she knows doesn't want her and what he chooses to do is to marry her rival beautiful younger sister. Now you do not have to be a Bible scholar and you do not have to be a prophet to know that this is not going to go well. This is about to be, we're about to experience the consequences of one of the dumbest decisions that anyone makes in the Bible. And Mark is going to unfold this um, a, a little bit for us starting next week. But for right now, we'll just kind of leave it kind of a little bit cliffhangery about what's going to happen, but we'll just, we'll, just, we'll just tease it with this. Don't make your solution worse than the disease. Don't let the cure be worse than the disease. Don't let the solution be worse than the problem. Don't let the thing that you do to fix the mess that you're in a mess, don't let the thing that you do to fix the mess make an even bigger mess. Now, if you've heard this expression, again, I'm not taking a side on this, but this has been said recently in kind of in, in pop culture out there in, in the great COVID debates, debates of the spring about whether or not shutting down the economy was a good idea. We're going to fight the virus by shutting down the economy. It's like, well... That, that was going to create more problems than the virus would cause. Again, I'm not saying that's the case, but that's the idea. That's the idea that was out there. We think we can solve it this way, but this is going to cause more problems than just letting this just kind of do what it's going to do. Again, I'm not saying one way or the other, but that's the basic idea. That your solution, all it does is cause more problems. My wife says something mean to me, And my response is, well, we've got to fix this, and I'm going to fix it by saying something even meaner to her. Now I've got two problems. She said something mean, and now now I've said something. Now we've got two problems. And then she's like, well, something has to be done about this. And so she says something, says something, says something. 
A guy who feels like, my wife doesn't even appreciate me. But this woman at work, she seems to appreciate me. So I'm going to get what I'm not getting over here. I'm going to to get it over here instead. We've had some really rough financial problems. I've not really done a good job managing our finances. I guess I better take out a credit card. We do this with our finances. We do it in our relationships. Your solution only makes the problem worse. You break something and trying to fix it, you only break more things. And I couldn't give this advice to Jacob. I can give it to you. Take the loss. Just take the loss. I have, I have, I have, I have brought damage to my family, brought damage to myself, to my friendships at work, in my finances, in my, in my, in my inward life, in my sex, in my sex life, in, in my political speak and interactions. I have been the problem. And I'm not going to keep causing more problems by my supposed solutions. Again, this story is unfolding. But I want you to feel this, that in this moment, the name of Jesus is being whispered in this story. Stop trying to solve your sin problems by yourself. Your solution to fixing your sin problem is just more sin. Your deception and your solution to fixing your deception is more deception. Your anger to to solving the problem that's caused by your anger is to bring more anger. You're, You're in trouble because of your lying and your solution is to lie more. You cannot solve your sin problem on your own. You are in desperate need of a Savior. I think this whisper is going to grow over the next few weeks. It is certainly going to grow significantly throughout the Old Testament. But we see whispers of it. And I, and I, and I, and I, and I wish, I wish I could tell him, take the loss, bro. And ask for help and forgiveness. Take the loss and instead put your trust in a loving, good God. Can't say it to him, but I can say it to you. I know, I know that you are reaping a lot of hurt. I know there is a lot of brokenness. And I know it's tempting to hold that mirror this way and to not turn it on myself. I know that it's tempting to believe that just if I could just. I, I, I know I, I, I'm just going to say this I'm just going to do this and then, then that'll show them and it's just sowing more sowing more take the loss and recognize that your, your so called solutions are the reason that you're here it's the reason why the problem is the problem and instead of trying to enact more of my own solutions I'm going to trust in the grace and the goodness of a forgiving and loving God and His Son, Jesus Christ, who died for me. Let's pray.